So I decided to get out of the military. I did. I had no idea what I was going to do. Okay. <laughs> I just yeah. kind of got into jewelry because I needed a job while I went to school. Okay. Sometimes I wish I would have got a, like, a gas station job because then maybe like a big <laughs> oil guy. Welcome to Brood in Bangkok, the podcast about the people you meet in the city that makes a hard man crumble. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Brood in Bangkok podcast. My name is Siddhant. This week's guest, Greg, is one of the more interesting people you will meet in your lifetime. A former U.S. Marine, Greg came to Bangkok after working for a few years in the jewelry industry where he quickly progressed to the ranks. Now, that's a very impressive statement by itself because as someone who comes from a jewelry background, my family has been in jewelry for many, many years. I find it very interesting when people who are not in jewelry or have jewelry backgrounds manage to make it up the rungs. This has always been a very artisanal business or a business controlled by a few people because that's just how it's been for many, many years. And for people to come in and perform well and to carve out a niche for themselves is already a very impressive feat. Not only has Greg managed to do that for himself in the US, he's come here to Thailand, he's worked for somebody else, and he's seen an opportunity and he has taken it. So with his very capable and equally brilliant wife, Emma, Greg has created his own jewelry company. And he manufactures jewelry and exports it all over the globe. He has done so much more than just make jewelry, though. He's a very active member of the community, especially here in Bangkok. What he does is he's a, a part of the American Chamber of Commerce's Small and Medium Enterprise Committee. And he really tries his best to get people together and to make things work. Greg has always tried his best to do that. And even in this conversation, he gives me so many opportunities to find out more about what it takes to open a business in Thailand and why it's easier than you think. And sometimes you just need somebody to tell you that. It's not that hard. You're just overthinking it. Anyway, before paraphrasing it any further, let's get right into it and see what Greg has to say. What's really interesting is the idea of just coming here. You know, it's very... Uh, a lot of people don't quite get it. They have all kinds of preconceived notions. Oh, you're moving there. Is that what? Is that what you're doing? Is that what you're doing? You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I don't think they see this as a real place. If you get what I'm saying, you know, sometimes they just see Thailand as like a postcard and then everything else that you're doing there is just kind of not as important. I don't get that sort of thinking yet, you know. Sid, I, I can't... Uh I can't agree with you more other than by saying my Instagram life is yeah. not terribly in connection, not perfectly in connection with my real life. Yeah. <laughs> like if so, if you're my friend from Texas or Ireland or, yeah. or California or something, yeah. and you just look at us on Facebook and Instagram, yeah. like we're living like this amazing postcard life like, yeah, of course. Like from your perspective. Now, when I look yeah. at your Instagram and Facebook yeah. and you're sitting there in a forest or something in, in Ohio and I'm like, oh, I would really love some snow right now. Like yeah. you're living that postcard life. Real life in Bangkok is... Uh, it's a major city with major requirements and it's tough. Yeah, absolutely. So, Greg, what really brought you here to begin with? I mean, business brought us to Thailand, brought me to Thailand. When I say, when you ask about me, it's my family and I. Okay. Um, so, yeah, sure. I'll just from now on, it'll be, I'll confuse it in my own mind. Yeah. <laughs> what brought us here was business. I've been... Uh, my 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 time in the jewelry industry has opened up a bunch of opportunities just by you know sheer tenacity and trying to be like the most seen, most heard, most invaluable person to a business that I've worked for before. That has yeah. opened doors. And at one point, there's a door that opened by a diamond company out of Belgium. They asked me to leave a company that I was working for in Colorado. And to ultimately come to Bangkok for that Belgian company and open up a jewelry manufacturing service for their diamond buying customers. Okay. So, a uh, quick background for me as well. Like, I come from a jewelry manufacturing family as well. So, before we get into far too much jargon and process, let's quickly clarify a few of the things that Greg is talking about. So, there's 
buying the gems and buying the diamonds, which is a wholly separate operation for a lot of people from actually like making the jewelry. Isn't that right, Greg? Like totally. A lot that, of people. That's, it's, that's like a component, that's a component of making jewelry. Yeah. But there are a lot of times separate components. So you said that the company was actually a diamond exchange company or they were just the company that hired me out of Colorado yeah from the Belgian company that hired me out of Colorado they are a diamond manufacturer right so they have rough diamonds okay and those rough diamonds they manufacture from you know rough gravelly looking dark messes of diamond yeah and then they reshape those into the diamonds that you see in fine jewelry yeah and like the biggest diamond exchange in the world is in Antwerp in Belgium if anyone's uh, wondering why Belgium is literally the center of diamond trade. So it's interesting. Uh, a lot of companies, especially the diamond companies, want to set up jewelry arms and manufacturing. So what made them consider Thailand as a operate, base of operations? Uh, good question. So yeah. the diamond company, they were operating here in Bangkok um, for God, I think they might have been one of the first board of investment companies, which okay. is a government-sponsored um, bring your business to Thailand program. But they might have been here for 15 or 20 years as a diamond-cutting business. Okay. They, they based their factory here in Bangkok many, many, many years ago. That's very That's interesting. The, so it was logical for them because they were aware the diamond – the company was aware of the jewelry industry here in Bangkok. Right. So it would made it made sense to them to set up a service here. Uh, quick aside, Greg, the jewelry component of Thailand is very underlooked. Like a lot of people don't realize it, but it's one of the major industries of the country. Uh, you tell us a bit more about how this came to be if you are like if you have the picture here. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the the bulk of the jewelry that's exported and made in Thailand is silver. Thailand is like known for many, many, many years to be a very well-respected silver jewelry manufacturing company in volume, high volume, volume. not just ones and twos, but we're talking hundreds of thousands of pieces a month are flying out of Bangkok into different parts of the world. Okay, so those... If, 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 if you were to go to the northern Thailand today and to the, but the Mesot area or anywhere in the north, these guys are crafty people. So the, the Thais are quite a crafty in a good way. Um, yeah. Their handicrafts are very, very well respected. And like they're like my workers, I have a bunch of employees. They, you know, their fathers and their fathers and their mothers and their mother's mother, they made silver trinkets at one point or another, probably in their life or their family. Somebody made money by making heirlooms in silver. So that is kind of, that is very specifically developed from a handicraft trade into a massive industry in this country. Wow. Okay. That's impressive. And from a competitive standpoint, where does Thailand, uh, rank is a country that creates silver jewelry and generally jewelry like how is it perceived around the world so let's just specifically with jewelry right um not silver not gold not platinum jewelry or stuff like if it's a semi-precious or a precious metal or a a precious metal and it's made in thailand I'll, i'll say that competitive wise the ties while they may not be as inexpensive as like you know indonesia or China, of course, um, other countries. What they are is it's a consistent country. It's easy to manage. There's really good investment opportunities in place. All of the raw material is here. Where in other countries, you have to import it from Bangkok. Um, right. You may not know this, but like stones. Yeah. You may know this, actually. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, stones and um, like anywhere from diamonds all the way down to the most, the least expensive agate stone. Yeah. They're yeah. traded here in Bangkok. So yeah. if you're opening an operation in China... Um, to manufacture thousands of beads every single day. You, sure. Yeah, you can do it, but the material is coming from Bangkok, probably. Absolutely. So just, yeah. it might not be the cheapest place in the world at all, but it's a good place in the world for convenience and logistics. Absolutely, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, it's one of those first few trade uh points, trade nodes that put Bangkok on the map as a stone trading center in Asia, at the very least, you know, uh, or an exchange of sorts. So that's that's quite a, a good overview that we have here of how Thai jewelry and Thai industries looked at from a jewelry perspective. But Greg, how did you get into jewelry? It's 
it's not something that just happens for a lot of families it's uh, something that gets passed down because it's mm. like as we said before it's kind of like an artisanal thing almost like it's in the family it's not very terribly easy for people to sort of become a part of jewelry so how did your journey into jewelry take place uh great question so i sort of happened you know, just kind of stumbled into it frankly i was yeah. in the i spent most of my 20s in the United States Marine Corps. And um, I was a combat infantryman. I'm an Iraq War veteran. I've traveled all over the world in the Marine Corps. Wow. And basically, when I left the Marine Corps, I wanted to go to college. So I was going to school. And while I needed I needed a job while I went to school in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona, in the States, I, I started selling jewelry for this retail brand in Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. And I went from a salesman to a... Uh, like an assistant store manager. My degree is e-business. So the company at that time started the dot com. So I became the e-commerce guy and that rolled into, you know, I mentioned earlier by being tenacious and being the guy who's seen and heard and who wants to just keep pushing and, and not be just an employee. Not, I didn't mind being an employee. I just wanted to be an employee that nobody forgot about. Sure. I wanted to be, yeah. I wanted to be the guy that was promoted. In fairness, I was by just working my butt off and making yeah. sure that when the CEO one time came to our Scottsdale store, I just looked him right in the eyes and I said, hi, I'm your, I was, I was in the reserves at that point in the military. Yeah. Um, I shook his hand and said, hi, I'm your U.S. Marine in Scottsdale. He never forgot me ever yeah. again. Fast forward many, many years later, he asked me to run his company in Thailand. Oh, it's okay. by being tenacious yeah. and present and, Making yourself known. Well, that sort of rolled later on th- in, in Colorado. Um, I went from Arizona to the Colorado. Okay. With the same company. And um, I, so I got into jewelry manufacturing for a jeweler in the, in Denver. I wanted to kind of grow. Okay. So, is Colorado a very important center of jewelry manufacturing in America? Oh, you no. Say? Good question. Yeah. No. The States is so big, man. Um, yeah. The, and one thing that happens in the U.S. is when a jeweler, a goldsmith, sure. becomes talented and yeah. goes from just an apprentice to like, okay, you know what the hell you're doing. They don't really work in stores or they don't, they don't typically work as a labor force. Right. Like it's a, it's a skilled trade, man. So like yeah. when these goldsmiths who are working for some store somewhere at, yeah. at a typically apprentice level, yeah. they, once they get beyond that and they really know how to do all the beyond the basics, yeah. they go set up shop somewhere and set up a jewelry repair, custom design. Yeah. And that's cool. That's what they do. Yeah. So Denver, it, nor any other state, yeah. New York is sort of weird because they have like a manufacturing, old manufacturing yeah. district. Yeah. But the rest of the states, if they're making jewelry – it's usually one or two guys and they're pretty much a print. There might be a senior guy on top of them, but mm. it's pretty dispersed. That's interesting. Yeah. Because you'd assume that, you know, there'd be some kind of center or some sort of, because a lot of countries have that, that they have sort of a belt or, or a center for jewelry. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah, it's yeah. called, you know, New York and in LA there's, you know, Hill street is, 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 is the same. There's, yeah. there's very entrenched, Jewelry manufacturing, I'm going to say communities yeah. and the cultures in that, in those particular cities yeah. where, and the, the downside to, to those things is they, is they work almost 24 hours a day okay. and they call, they just hot, like you rent a bench. And like there's uh-huh. some guy named Moisha who yeah. rents a bench and yeah. he works there for eight hours a day or 12 hours a day. And, and then Jonas walks in. Yeah. After him and he works the night shift yeah. and they're just cranking out jewelry and they're either contractors. They may, in fact, be employees, but they're all in the same community and they spread they spread their. Uh, I mean, the thing is that about that sort of thing is, is a pricing spreads around and the yeah. like nobody has any confidentiality yeah, it's just yeah, everything yeah. gets shared same thing with LA it's the same Ju- story jewelry is a very funny thing to manufacture it's not like a regular process the very raw materials that the jewelers work with are so important to the the price that they pay yeah. for those things is very is, important. Is, yeah I spend quite a bit of my day negotiating the prices for those components yeah so I can have a competitive edge on my my the, the other factories who I'm competing with yeah um, the, but that, and that's where Spokes Jewelry Services, my my factory here in Bangkok, is competitive. We're unicorns, like yeah, totally out there in left field. Where we don't 
hang out with too many jewelry people. We don't. Yeah. We're not gonna. We're not gonna meet with church or synagogue or yeah. or anything. We're not. So we can't be discussing pricing. It's just we're we're unicorns. When our customers find us, it's a trap door, man. They come in and they don't go away because they like us. Nobody knows who we are really. We're just kind of plugging away doing that our thing. Sounds pretty good because from like my community, my experience in India, especially jewelry is a community thing. So how do you how did you manage to change that for yourself like how did you manage to be an outsider and stay an outsider because a lot of people that come in eventually as outsiders really want to be inside sure good question well we're not overtly trying to stay out it's just yeah. because we don't we never were in it yeah. just kind of stays that same way right. we're not um overtly seeking to get into the families and to the um other you know the industries uh, i'm sorry the, the the heads of industry who who just want to talk old world to me and i'm not interested in that at yeah, all sure. so um getting into it was just sheer this is what i want to do i saw it and we did it and we're doing it every single day staying out of the circles easiest thing in the world right yeah. and uh, i find your military background super impressive mm. like because you've done so much you've mm. seen so many things um it, was it a conscious decision that oh i'm i've spent enough time here and i want to do something else for leaving the military yeah well it was a conscious decision to separate basically that i'm i'd gone to war i've been um uh i was in some embassy bombings in africa i've, I've been in some interesting situations in yeah. in real like i'm really a combat veteran like, i really yeah. did a lot of really i was in light armor reconnaissance we did a lot of cool stuff i mean yeah we, we did some shit that people would just like to do when they're young men and i did yeah. all that and then yeah. i figured I fast forwarded my life and I said, okay, awesome. I love the military. Still very much do, but I couldn't see raising my family. You know, it was just my wife and I at the time. We didn't have any, any, any children or anything, but I was, yeah. I, I kind of forecasted, okay, I need to, I need to add a little bit more to my, my capacity yeah. as a, as a male, as a family guy. So I decided to get out of the military. I did, I had no idea where I was going to do. Okay. <laughs> I just yeah. kind of got into jewelry because I needed a job while I went to school. Okay. Sometimes I wish I would have got a, like a gas station job because then maybe like a big <laughs> oil guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Hey, you've got a pretty good industry for yourself as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a huge upside to jewelry. It's yeah. a fantastic industry in that sense. Uh, what would you say you transferred over as like skills or as uh, approach from the military to the jewelry industry specifically good good question so so the marine corps specifically we're big on process and planning um we from day one um process and planning is a big part of your your leadership development right so it's not specific to jewelry whatsoever however i walked when i started this business um when I was a young manager at different other people's companies before yeah. I started my own, yeah. I uh, cutting my teeth on their dime, frankly. Right, um, right. But when I started this business, Spokes Jewelry, I, I, it was actually quite simple for me to organize those processes. As I know what the result is, I understand that the, the, what people require in the sense of clarity for what they need to do in their position. Yeah. Um, I, I can appreciate that. Therefore, I set in processes in place. It's almost like a mini ISO rating that we have. But right. it's so I brought the process and planning capacity I learned in the Marines into this business. And it therefore, the A to Z process, order to export is pretty well dialed in. Nice. Yeah. So another question about this as well. Uh it's one thing to sell jewelry at a retail store. Yeah. It's another thing to make jewelry at a fine jewelry level. That's not something people can do. A lot of people can never see themselves doing that. So you've clearly got a little bit of a journey here. Can you take us through that? So as a, when I was in sales, when I first left the military, when I first left the Marines, um, I, I got a strong grasp of, you know, what does the end, what is the customer require not just my store manager yeah what does the customer require that person will rip on you if those four prongs aren't balanced at uh at uh 10 o'clock two o'clock seven o'clock and five o'clock on their yeah. four prong head yeah. if they if, if it's a little bit off they will see it and you'll lose a several thousand dollar sale right off the bat um if you're not polishing underneath the jewelry yeah underneath underneath the prongs if, yeah if it's raw metal believe it or not 
Jane Doe from the street who walks into your retail shop, yeah. she will see it. And yeah. she may not know what she's asking, but she'll say, what am I looking at? And then you, in the sales capacity, you have to say it's, it's, it's raw material that the manufacturer never filed off. Okay, so those sorts of conversations, I've had dozens, yeah. hundreds probably, yeah. of so I can see those results. I know what the client may very, very well ask, the client, yeah. the end buyer. Yeah. Um, okay, then fast forward, I've, because I've done um, ex- management in a retail business and executive management for other it, it, it very much retail, uh, retail and a wholesale operation okay. for fine jewelry. Okay. I'm aware of what the buyers at the wholesale requirement are going to ask. They're going to quickly look for some very high level issues, high visible porosity, stones that are not straight in lines. I already know what they're going to perceive as a problem that could be quick, bar- quick barriers of entry. Right. So I go grab that low hanging fruit right off the bat as a process policy. These certain things are 100% out of the way, cannot do them because those will stop the conversation where the wholesale salesman who's in the room with the sales buyer, with the buyer can sell through that. If there's a problem that maybe it's a six and a quarter on my sizing ring where on that guy's sizing ring, it's six and a half or something. The sales manager can get through that. That's not a quality problem. That's a different thing that's totally manageable yeah. that shouldn't be a barrier of entry so i've learned over my journey from retail to management to um, more executive management to e-commerce all in our field what is fine jewelry not okay. commercial jewelry not the perception of fine jewelry i combat that all the time because there's all these jewelry companies out there online and even in their stores saying it's fine jewelry no it's silver filled gold filled jewelry is not fine jewelry that's silver jewelry. Yeah. It's fine. It's, yeah. I mean, that, when I say fine, it's, it's it's okay to sell your jewelry, for God's sake. Sell yeah. It. But fine jewelry is not that. Fine jewelry is 18 karat gold, diamond, GVS, VVSs, really well made, high-end stuff. Not yeah. It doesn't have to be crazy designer. You know, it doesn't have to be over the top. Yeah. Um, but for certain, how it's made and the and the material used to make it yeah. is fine. Okay. Period. So, who gave you this opportunity to get into manufacturing then? Uh, Good question. So I was, like I said earlier, the guy who ran this big retail company in America. Okay, the the name of that company is Shane Co. Okay. They're a massive, like, privately held jewelry, retail jewelry company in the United States, pretty much the Midwest and West. Okay, so that guy, Tom, he's a a friend of mine. I know him super well. Um, I worked for him for many years, and I grew a kind of, Got, I mean, in the U.S., I worked for him in sales and in the, in, the, in, the, in the management. Then I left later. I left him, went to another company, but um, and became a manufa- uh, production guy in Denver. But um, the because I built a relationship with him, years and years later, I'm working. This Belgian company asked me to come down here and run a company for them. So I'm running a little business for these Belgians. Yeah. And what he did is he called me and he asked me to come. He was having issues with his factory here. And um, he called me and he said, Greg, would you take over my factory as CEO? Okay. And I said, of course I will. So we made in the, we made a deal and bam, I, I became the CEO of his manufacturing facility here. Um, while I had already had experience in manufacturing at that point, what yeah. I did not have was the executive level experience as a manufacturer. Right. I'd been a production manager. I'd been an e-business manager. I'd been yeah. a store manager. I'd been, I've had some sort of management experience. Right. I've been a Marine for a very long time. Leadership and management are not a problem, but executive management, when you start talking about things like share structures and you start talking about things like, you know, finance aspects, the BOI aspects, um, yeah. ISO certifications, sure. um, the direction of a company strategically. Okay. That stuff started to come up through this manufacturing opportunity. Interesting. But this is great. I mean, you were a production manager. All these things were taking place in the U.S., but you, you chose to come to Thailand to sit in the hot seat. What did you learn about working here as a newly minted executive of a company? Yeah, good. Another good question. Um, as a newly minted executive in this town, Bangkok specifically. Yeah. Because I think this town moves a little faster than some of the other cities in town, but or in the country. But Bangkok alone, the, I guess the the first thing that I, the, some of the most important things that I realized very very quickly is you have to consult before you make a move. 
if you're not certain, if you haven't experienced it before as an executive, you might want to consult with somebody who knows what the heck they're talking about. Okay. For example, when I was at, when I was asked to take over this company for here in Bangkok, this factory for Tom, he asked me to come run the company. I did. There was an outgoing MD who was doing some fraud. He oh, needed okay. to go. He needed yeah. to get out. Okay. I had no idea. No way. I didn't. I was unaware of this completely. <laughs> Nobody gave me the heads up that you're walking into a shit show. Yeah. So I walk into this. Uh, swearing's okay? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, I walk into this company. It is a fiasco. So the first thing I had to do was fire, terminate the position of this outgoing managing director and his wife, who was actually on the books, but never walked in the door and she was making oh, a ton of money. There you go. But, so yeah. there's, I'm like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. So um, I walk into the situation. And um, I just fired him. Yeah. I, I, I got a document. I said, you're terminated. It was very clear in HR. You know, you're terminated from this point on. Best of luck, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. we had seven criminal, combined seven criminal and civil cases to follow and to deal with. However, first things first, I needed to get him off the books. Um, what I did not even have an awareness of, you just can't fire people in this town. Yeah. I come from Colorado yeah. where it's a it's an at-will state and my naivety is cutting my teeth as a junior as a new newly minted executive in this town. Um we're in Colorado, you can just fire you. You can work yeah, for yeah. me for 25 years and I can say bye-bye. As sad as it is, the there's nothing tied to your time. Where in this town, your time with a corporation has weight. So if 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 when I fired this man, he didn't say anything, which is fine, up until I got sued by the labor court. The corporation yeah. got sued by yeah. the labor court asking for his years of severance because he worked for the company for two or three years. So there's a lot of money on the table that the company owes that employee because he put in the time. That's just the law. The labor yeah. law is very That's clear. Law. Yeah. Even though – and that, so here's my June, my newly minted executive body walked into the labor court in a suit and he's sitting there next to me in a suit. And um, the court asked me the story, and I, I said, why did I fire him the way I fired him? And I said, well, I fired him because he had this criminal case we have filed. Here's the data. I had this civil case that we filed. Here's the data. The court looked at me and said, don't care about that. That is not a labor issue. Yeah. That is a civil issue. Yeah. And I'm looking at him like, what do you mean? This is it's all this. They're like, no, that is not a labor court issue. This is a labor issue that we're talking about. Why did you not give him follow the basic labor law requirements that it takes to fire somebody. And it, it was very hard for me to understand it. But when I understood it, it was clear as a bell. Yeah. Follow tie process with regard to, well, everything. But, you know, when it comes to terminating yeah. somebody, you're not going to win that case. And out of all this, out of seven cases, eight cases, including the labor, I ultimately lost that one. The labor, the labor the board. Labor. All the civil and criminal ones I won over, took two or three years. Okay. But um, we won all those cases. However, but we never actually had to pay him. Okay. Because in the, one of the civil cases that we won about a year later, uh, we froze all of his assets. The income that was owed to him from the severance was an asset of his, which we seized and therefore it got deleted. Okay. So it, it turned out to be a happy... Uh, conclusion to the story. Sure. However, it was a Always very dull thud of a experience, I'm sure, because you thought, hey, clearest day, I have this guy yeah. dead to rights. And I would do it totally different today. And he's looking <laughs> at you going, you're going to have to, yeah. you're going to lose this. And he was this. right. He was yeah. right. Yeah. 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 And and you know what? I've come across this a lot personally as well. And I'm, I'm wondering, did your HR department not uh, inform you about this? There's a lot of problems going on in that company before okay. I took it over. Right. HR being one of them. I so see. I okay. think his wife was actually the HR manager, but she'd never walked in the door. Okay. And she was making a fortune. So who would you have consulted then back then, looking back? Um, back then, I would have... It's a, God, this is a very interesting onion to unravel. Isn't it? I took on the guidance of the shareholder's attorney. Okay. Okay. So the shareholders are high level, just rich, rich, rich people. So right. these rich, rich, rich people just hire really high level um, attorneys that, in fairness, they're, they're much better at other things yeah. than they are at things like this at this level. And they're nervous about the shareholders, I think, because they're paying big money, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month in retainers, dollars, not by yeah. dollars to these attorneys 
which are connected to more than just this one little operation. Yeah. So there's a lot more. So they're a lot more sensitive to how they answer questions where in if to, what I would have done today, if it happened today, I would choose my own attorney. I would tell the shareholders I'm doing it this way. Okay. I will get a different attorney through my own network. Yeah. And I would have yeah. asked that. I mean, I, I now I have six friends who are attorneys and I would say, and I've used this stuff before, as a matter of fact, hey, what, what, give me your two cents. And I, I, I often, I pay for that information, but there's some, there's a right way to do it. And then the long way to do it. And then the wrong way to do it. Right. Um, the options. There. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anecdotally, I've always heard that Thai labor law inadvertently ends with similar conclusions as you have described. But going ahead, when did you decide, you know what, I've now spent some time here, I've learned the ropes to working in Thailand and let me do my own thing. What, how did that take place? Good question. Um, I am a rule breaker no matter what I do. It's sort of a, sometimes it's positive and sometimes it just upsets the apple cart. But while I was running this company for Tom Shane, I just kept on having to turn down opportunities that were coming to the factory through company, through through retailers and wholesalers who wanted to do business with me. But my shareholders, primarily him, would say, no, we don't want to go in that direction, which is fine. It's his business. He, yeah. I'm not begrudging him whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. He did not want to complicate his world by having third-party clients. I get it. No sweat. But I, I, when I would see that, I would when I would see these customers that would approach me through well, trade shows or meetings or whatever, I would I would have this you know kind of turn them actually very much turn them away. So I ultimately decided there's opportunity here. Now money is not easy to come by ever by anybody and if easy money is not good money yeah so i recognize that gold is expensive diamonds are expensive so i'm i'm, I'm not from a, a wealthy family i had to every dollar i've got i've earned nobody gave me anything yeah um so i had to make sure that i had the finances to be able to go to these brands and talk to them and and, and try to you know win their business and then finance it myself without having to you know disrupt their lives so um, we saved. I say I, I made the decision with my wife. We said, okay, we're going to do this. We are going to get our own business going, and we're going to go after that particular market, and we want to service that particular market. It's a lot more complicated, the market that we service, because they take a lot of time. They're most Many of them are either new or not established. They take a lot of work, a lot of upfront costs. But if they get going, they take off like a racehorse. So it's, yeah. it's, it's fun that way. But we, uh, we also had to save and save and save. Okay. Literally just save up money. Right. And, and take me through your thought process here when, okay, you saw that there was a, a opportunity because of turning down these offers, but opening a business in Thailand is not quite as straightforward sometimes. So what gave you confidence that this is the place for me? Well, opening up the business that, that, that isn't, that is, you, you said something that I don't truly believe in, that is okay. not always straightforward. Yeah. I often think that it, a lot of folks think it's not straightforward. Okay. When I will, I'll disagree. I think it's yeah. very, very straightforward. It is. It, okay. It's, it's, um, there's a lot of barstool lawyers out there who just make everything sound way complicated. It's just when you do it the right way, the right way, it's no problem. It's, okay. it's, it's your brain versus the market. Right. And um, so I started a uh, my company's a treaty of amity company. Now, okay. that just means it's basically treated by the revenue department. It's a Thai company like I'm but I'm definitely I'm not Thai. I'm American. Yeah. But Americans were allowed to own our companies outright through a treaty back in the 70s that the United States and uh, Thailand agreed upon, which allows Americans to own our businesses without any Thai shareholder. Yeah. Now, because of the business that I'm in. As, as a jewelry manufacturer, not having uh, shareholders outside of me and my wife makes it, or and my, and my brother-in-law, but um, makes it makes it much more comfortable because I can't a, a randomer who I don't yeah. know who doesn't look. If I had a Thai shareholder, a Thai man or a Thai woman who came in and gave me actual capital, that'd yeah. be a different thing if yeah. I wanted it. But most of the time, these shareholders are nominee shareholders. They just their name on a piece of paper. Yeah. But that name on a piece of paper has actual power and authority yeah so in the event say you fall out with your partner quote-unquote partner or your yeah. shareholder who has 51 percent more uh more as 51 percent of the shares of your business oh believe me if that guy's a nef 
you know, not the most upstanding human being. Yeah. They could just shut your damn doors. Yeah. And you're a foreigner, man. Like, if you're, like, you're losing. Yeah, that. you are yeah. not winning that argument, yeah. at least in the short run. Yeah. Uh, maybe in the long run, you'd win it. Fair enough. Yeah. But um, I'm going to get back to your question in a second. Yeah. But the – so it, it, in this town, I, I've got an experience on it, which I'll, which I, we can cover if you wanted. Yeah. But, you know, the, they could just they could just shut your door. I don't care if you're making jewelry, you're making T-shirts, yeah. you're making computers – Pillows, whatever. Yeah. If their business is rocking and yeah. your partner is is uh, you know not vested in it, not interested in it, does or just has the authority to walk in and just boom take your assets. Oh yeah, I've personally seen it. No joke. Personally seen it where they just come in, put a piece of tape paper on your door, and lock it. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is they go physically remove the assets. Okay, and that's the literally money. pick up the desk. Literally walk, walk the, the hell out yeah. with your stuff. Yeah, why? Because he can't. There's what are you going to do? Get a police officer and stand there with your police piece of paper. Your piece of paper is yeah. going to say you are not the majority shareholder. Yeah, yeah. and the cops going to go. What do you want? What me do you want? Yeah, he, he owns it. I mean, he doesn't. Uh, you're so the confidence yeah. aspect. Getting back to your question. Is, yeah, because I could do my business and own it outright in this town. Yeah. It could be in France. I don't care. Yeah. But um, with regard to the ownership aspect, yeah. if, if I could own it outright, I, no, I mean, uh, somebody couldn't just come put a piece of paper on my door and say, mine. Yeah. Um, I felt safe enough. Having a shareholder, even a lawyer, often, you know, a lot of a lot of nominee guys are like lawyers and attorneys. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen, <laughs> I, yeah. I know a lot of very good lawyers, primarily only good lawyers. Yeah. Um, however, there are, there, there's wicked people out there, man. Yeah. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So, Owning the business outright is uh, the way give me that confidence. Is is the is yeah. what gave you the confidence? You can do it through the board of investment as well. There's yeah. other ways you can do it, but I didn't have that cash. Let's talk about that actually, because uh, we were discussing it earlier. The board of investment. It's sort of a vehicle through which Thailand is trying to draw business mm-hmm. into into the country. If you can give us a short overview on what they do for sure. people who don't know and your views on it, because okay. I feel like you have some insight here, which I think a lot of people need to hear before they. Make make any decisions sure i totally totally have experience in this area now i'm going to talk on the high level because and here's the problem it's super complicated sure. like, yeah. it is yeah. super super complicated and cash heavy okay um okay so asterisk i'm going to talk high level on this yeah so and these are my first-hand experiences okay so if you wanted to start you know joe smith's t-shirt company or Joe Smith's jewelry company or whatever, and you're a foreigner and you want to own your business outright and you're English. So you're an English guy or an Australian guy. Yeah. And you want to start your business outright. You yeah. have to have a tie shareholder. Yeah. Or there's the board of investment or there is, I think you can do the IEAT. There's another way um, that's very, it's very pretty much uncommon, but let's okay. skip that part. There's so, a board of investment. So the only country with this treaty of amity is the United, is the United States. States. So no other country, has no this other country has this okay. um, right. benefit. Okay. So you, let, let's say you're an Englishman or Australian or whatever. Yeah. And you want to come here, but you, you insist like I must own my company. Okay. You do something called the board of investment. You or uh, you, you utilize a, a feature from the board of investment and that, that fee, that, 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 that opportunity allows you to own your business outright. But there's a bunch of catches. Okay. First of all, it's 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 fine. I mean, it's a good thing if you can afford it. All your in order to do it, you must import a whole bunch of your dollars or whatever your currency is from overseas. Yeah. You cannot use. I bought. I'm, I'm, I'm like 99 percent sure. If the money is in Thailand, you cannot use that as your start as your seed money for the board of investment because this is you know they want foreign direct investment. They want yeah. money coming from overseas and into their country. Yeah. Now. That doesn't mean that the money goes into like a, a bank account for the government. It goes into your business bank account and you utilize it to do payroll and pay rent and all that sort of stuff. It's your money, but it just must come in from overseas. Okay. Um, but with the BOI, it's a big ticket. It's a, it's a lot of money. Um, where just for example, my work permit, just for my business with every foreigner in this country. Yeah. One work permit is two million baht or roughly 60 something thousand dollars. That's a to, fact. To own a company? No, to have a work permit. One, okay. A work permit costs two million baht. Okay. That's the capitalization of the, each company. So your capitalization must have two million baht plus four four Thai workers. I, I can bore you with all this stuff. But no, but this is important. This is important. This is what stuff. we want to yeah. know. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. back into the, back into the board of investment. 
if you can afford all the money, you can bring, you can import the, you can import that money, and then you can own the business, right? So you you buy a building, you can actually own the building and the land. It's that that's the big advantage. You own the thing, um, huge advantage. Right. However, however, every piece of equipment you buy must be from overseas. Every you can't buy used equipment, and as a startup like me, I couldn't afford to go buy a brand new forty five thousand euro laser welder. Okay, I needed to buy. A, a, a used one yeah down the road yeah for you know much less than that and um i still have that machine it's worked for me for four years or so it's awesome um but if i was a boi company i could not buy it every so so every single piece of equipment needs to be imported now the import duties are are deleted and, no but no they delete them so okay. you're buying this machine from italy but you don't have to pay the 20 percent import duties oh, and all okay. that and okay. the, that and all the tax but you're forced to buy like the Ferrari every time, yeah. where as a startup, buying the Ferrari, it's just stupid. Yeah. Totally, makes... totally, totally bad idea. Yeah. I mean, buy the VW, <laughs> then yeah. get your, you know, Ford Ranger, and then later on, get your Ferrari. Right. Unless you're just some random, you know, richo, good for you, man, go get yeah. that Ferrari. Yeah. I'm not that guy, yeah. um, nor was I that guy. So, BOI did not work well for me. Administratively, it's very, very difficult. You have to pre- plan all of your imported equipment when you start you have to tell the boi what you're going to buy you have to print out copies of everything in quadruple everything in this country is like printed and stamped 12 15 times so like huge stacks of paper when i i'm talking like three ring binders full of what are you going to buy what is your floor plan by the meter what is like and, and you're not going to do this. You're going to hire some professional guy to do this. And yeah. these professional guys speak English. And these professional guys are going to charge you out the wazoo yeah. to do it. So at the end of the day, while you may benefit a little bit, you may own the building or whatever, it's very, very heavy on the administration. And there's no reason why you can't do your BOI stuff later. Like this company of mine, if I wanted to switch it to a BOI company in the future, I certainly can no problem. Okay. I highly recommend if you're coming into this town to start a business, start a business either A, if you have the treaty option, start with the treaty. No matter what anybody tells you, it is not difficult. It is super easy. Okay. Super, super easy. Okay. Lawyers will say, oh my God, it's too difficult because they've never done it. And that's just not their wheelhouse. Fine. Just get another attorney. Yeah. There's dozens and dozens and dozens who know how to do it and they do it for you. It's a, It's literally the same administrative process plus one where you have to go to the embassy and certify a couple pieces of paper for a hundred bucks. I mean, we're not talking anything complicated, but lawyers will tell you what's complicated just because they're ignorant, not stupid by by personality, ignorant to the notion of how to do it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually this is a very important thing because uh, me and many other people when they walk in here, they think that oh, Thailand is Thai business. There's you are just going to be a factor of it unless you really put that money together and go like it sounds like the board of investment route is some, somewhat three times the investment of a regular company you know? I, I would from my experience yeah the board of investment comes into play when you're pretty multinational like you're big you're big you're multinational like you're yeah. doing large like tom shane's business was a boi company yeah fact. but they're out of business they're out of business they closed their doors a year and a half ago was it because they ran out of capital or uh, they ran at first of all they didn't take on outside customers Okay. Which is my idea. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't yeah. take it. And then five or six managing directors later, they failed. Okay. It was not supporting itself. Right. Um, because, whatever, it was not supporting itself. Therefore, the cash flow was negative. Mm. And uh, the son stepped in from in the United States and said to his father, Dad, we are not manufacturers or retailers. We're wasting money. Shut it down. And he shut it down. There you go. Um, yeah. So if you would have just put in third-party business, it probably would have helped been much more sustainable over the years. But it wasn't. It failed. Yeah. Um, so they're, but they're a multinational, big, big money. You know, if you can afford fifty, sixty, seventy thousand baht or dollars, you know, a month in um, setup costs and and labor, you have to have a whole lot for BOI. Okay. Then the thing with the BOI is they give you this tax benefit for like yeah. five years or something. It might be more, five to seven years, I think. Well. When people start their businesses, I mean, you were investing. Like I've got, I mean, I started all, you know, money going out, 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 always going out. It was coming in, but not more than it was coming out. Yeah. And um, in the beginning, so I'm going to lose money and I'm not going to have a big like tax bill at the yeah. end of the year. I, I, I paid taxes and I had taxes. However, I didn't, um, I wasn't like, you know, burdened by massive profits at the moment. I mean, yeah. I didn't really have that problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you didn't have the misfortune of no. the enormous God. profits. So it don't. Yeah. I mean, be you know, it's a good program if it's for you, but carefully weigh it out. Yeah. Um, it's I, I'm more of a. This is the Marine Corps in me, right? Yeah. Crawl, walk, run. The company I was talking about earlier, they went straight to sprinting. Mm. And they stumbled and ate it. They ate dust, lost millions of dollars. Okay. I started my company crawling. Tiny budget, me, one work permit, four employees. Yeah. It's grown to two work permits and uh, 30 employees. Okay. Crawl, walk, run. Sure. If, if, if I run into a money problem, I'll reduce expenses. Fine. Yeah. But don't go off the deep end on stuff that has no value. That's that's true. And I think the other thing is uh, you've brought this perspective to other people in another way, which I think is uh, you you also are part of the small and medium enterprise. Uh, is that the small and medium enterprise chamber or committee in the American Chamber of Commerce? What yeah, good, good question. It's yeah. the uh, small to medium enterprise committee yeah. with the American Chamber of Commerce. So what what is it that occupies you guys in discussion or in uh, uh, what you want to do with this committee in Thailand? Awesome. What is so, the- well, the American Chamber of Commerce is, uh, you know, it's one, of, it's the largest by far chamber of commerce in the country. Um, we have a, America alone has a, a hundreds of millions of dollars of foreign direct investment in this country. And yeah. by far, we're huge. We're massive part of this country's financial cash turnover. We're a big deal. Yeah. Um, so within our chamber of commerce, we have about 25 or 30 different committees from the aerospace committee to the human resources committee to my committee, which is a small to medium enterprise committee. Yeah. And it's co it's co um, co chaired by a friend of mine named David, David Lawrence. He's a he's an attorney. Yeah. Um, for an in-house attorney for a, a, a private tie company in, in the city. So him and I, what we do primarily is we reach out to our members in our com- in our chamber which we have a couple thousand, but um, our most of those are actually small to medium enterprises. You know, they're doing anything from small restaurants to small hotels to hotel chains to me, jewelry, to law firms, to IT companies. So what we do is we, as the SME committee, reach out to them, the private members or the members, and beyond. We go a little bit beyond. Um, we want membership to, we want people to join our chamber, actually, because it's important. Not to the chamber per se, but it really adds value to your business. If you're running a business or you're an executive or a manager in a business, try to get involved in my chamber, the American chamber, or, or your own chamber. I, there, a lot of them are very, very good. But what you can do is, is what we do, for example, in the SME committee, is we, we get really talented people to do presentations, material subject matter experts to do presentations to the members of our chamber. For example, we'll have a digital marketing expert come out and do a 20, 30 minutes PowerPoint presentation on best practice principles for digital marketing. You know, and me as a small to medium enterprise myself, I mean, I'm like, oh my God, like the more information I can learn about that, the better. Um, And pitfalls of what to avoid. Oh my God, like I I can gobble that stuff up every day. I blow money on Facebook ads like by the minute, literally, by yeah, the minute sometimes. Yeah. Um, or we'll bring in a Facebook ads expert or a, a blogging expert or how to take photos better on your, for your product because there's two types of people who sell and stuff online. The people who know how to take product pictures and people who don't. Yeah. And those who don't, their shit doesn't sell. So, yeah, yeah. you know, all these things that we bring out. And they, so once a month, people come, our members come to this uh, restaurant, Bourbon Street. If you've never been to Bourbon Street, here's a shout out. Go there, Bourbon Street on Ekamai. It is so good. Absolutely. But anyway, they have yeah. a presentation room on the seventh floor that we do a meeting on. And we just yeah. gather up and we have a presentation and um, we have dinner and we just network. And it's super valuable. And people, business owners or business managers, they go away with new stuff in their mind. And that's what that's, I do that just because I like to and it keeps me current. And um, I mean, it, I, I just got an award from the American U.S. Embassy, as a matter of fact. Oh, OK. I just got a gold star award for um, the F, the work that I do for the ties and the American Chamber, you know, promoting American business through good business practices and good ethics and doing stuff the right way. And the things that I do for the American Chamber ultimately I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just yeah, telling you what yeah, it is. Yeah. We, we, um, the, the things that we do raise a ton of money for Thai schools all around the country. Education, oh, yeah. leadership development. Yeah, we, we put huge amounts of money into um, philanthropy in this country. We build entire schools. We build and we 
do really great work at the American Chamber. It's not just a business thing. It's yeah. American ethos thing. Not religion yeah. in it. There's nothing complicated. Just yeah. how do your how, how do we get your children to eat better? Yeah. And let's do that. They don't they may not know. And yeah. we can help them. Yeah. That's great. Uh, and what's wonderful about this as well is that uh you're getting to do both helping the community and helping your community and helping your knowledge grow as yeah. a, as a individual and as a business as well uh what's also really uh, important and we 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 should really talk about is how your business works as well like it's not just you out here doing this your wife emma has a very large part to play she also has a big role in her own uh chamber of commerce yeah so what what is this partnership that you guys have going like what is what does she like to do in this business and what is her uh role in the irish chamber of commerce uh good good quite good question um yeah. so emma my wife of uh god we're hitting almost 20 together 20 years together we met in africa when i was in the marines okay um, i was in a, i was in tanzania she was basically just out of high school in ireland and she was taking a year off teaching english like a lot of 20-year-olds or 18-year-olds do. And uh, we met there in 97. Okay. And um, so we, we've had a very, very good time. And over the years, it, my wife is uh, uh, an economist. So she sees the macro. Right. She Like where I'm a micro process guy, right? Like I, I see things to the brass tacks. Emma sees it a million miles up and sees that uh, that direction might not be the way to go. So she um, is also a gemologist so, and, a, and a designer by... My hobby was turned yeah. into a, her trade. Yeah. Can you quickly tell us what a gemologist does? Good question. So yeah. um, there's an institute. There's there's a couple different, you know, businesses or schools, institutions that keep the jewelry industry, the gemstone specifically, and partially the jewelry industry, kind of regulated and, and um, all on the same page with regard to quality and grading and factors of what is a sapphire what can you call a sapphire? Yeah. Or what can you call a diamond? What are the grades of sapphires or rubies or diamonds? What? So there's these schools, these industry that kind of keeps that's very specifically keeps things in line globally, all over the world, so that a sapphire in Sri Lanka isn't a blue topaz in California. So like these schools. So the one, the most prestigious is called the Gemological Institute of America. There are a yeah. couple more, but you know it is what it is. The number one school is GIA. Uh, my wife and I have both gone to GIA. Emma is a full-blown what we call a gemologist. She's a really, really smart expert in gemstones, gemstone tech, gemstone technology, like how to make how to make gemstones, yeah. um, how to fake gemstones. She knows these things, so she can identify these things. It's her real core competency is finding stones that customers want to making sure that they're the stones that they expect. Yeah. Because this town and this industry. With regard to gemstones, full of trickery. You really must know what you're talking about when you when it comes to buying gemstones in this town. Yeah. She is an expert. She will forget more about gemstones than I will ever know, and I know a lot. There you go. I, she's yeah. a stud on this sort of stuff. So her function in our business is gemstone buying, gemstone negotiation, relationship management with our gem traders. And design customer service. She runs all of our customers. She does so. Her, so she goes out and gets those purchase orders, and um, then she gives them to me, and I put them into production and the operations and whatnot. Um, so she's our gemologist to make sure things stay upright and true for our brand, to make sure our customers are getting more than they ask for. That's and it's so crucial because while we've talked about jewelry manufacturing in the overall sense these designs just don't create themselves you know the the word centerpiece is used a lot in the english language but gems are literally the centerpieces of jewelry like that's actually so important oh yeah so she's clearly very crucial to the final product here but she's also somebody who is very actively involved in the community here as well. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, why don't you tell us a bit more about what she Good does? Good question. Well. <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah. She, uh, so, um, and I don't know how Em and I really became chamber, act, active in our chambers other yeah. than, well, we want to continue to learn, I guess. Yeah. So, um, Emma had this really great opportunity. Um, she was asked to join the board. And then oh. they've made, there's a, there's a formal vote and all that. For the Republic of Ireland. For the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. And, um, and she is a, you know, one of the few Irish entrepreneurs. She owns half this business. I mean, she, she's yeah. very much involved in this thing. Yeah. She, uh, 
she is a very successful Irish entrepreneur. Has been written up in several news in, 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 in at least one newspaper in Ireland yeah. uh, of of her, her her expertise. So she 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 she's not only developing herself as an individual here in Bangkok, but she's also you know representing Ireland as a young, successful female entrepreneur, and um, and people like to see that. People like to see there's, you know, you work your tail off, it comes around. Yeah. So she's on the board there and yep. she also does a lot of these philanthropic uh, committees, charity donations, drives and sets up and sort of works with some of the committees within her chamber as well. Absolutely. And after working at the, the office and the factory and the chamber work on the side, you guys go home to... Well, you're moving now, is yeah, what we yeah. just talked about. Well, we're moving just across town. We've been living yeah. here since 2006. We right. got here about a month before Toxin got thrown out. Great so time to visit. Our first yeah. coup was like, we kind of freaked out. We're like, oh my God, it's, place is going under. Yeah. We didn't realize that it's not a big deal. Yeah. But um, so we got here then. And so what we so we've been living in the suburbs ever since since yeah. we moved here. We came here with two bulldogs from Colorado, right. and uh, we needed a garden. Yeah. And uh, so you know, the, the, our lovely bulldogs have gone up to doggy heaven. So yeah. now we're ready to experience the big city. Big so we're, city life. we're moving from the burbs to the city this yeah. weekend, and well, we're kind of we're, we're quite excited about it. Yeah, you know, all of our friends are excited about it because we don't live in the sticks, is what they say. Yeah, you come into town, you can go hang out at the restaurant yeah, yeah. anytime you want. And uh, you you have a daughter? No, we got a son. We got a son. Is, is he uh, up and running now? Ready? To yeah, yeah. Guy? He's uh, he's eight, and yeah. uh, he's a good kid. He's another. He's a fellow redhead like myself. Wonderful. And um, he, he's a great guy. He, we just uh, he just started uh, fourth year, is what they call it. Okay. At uh, at Brighton College. Oh yeah, yeah. Beautiful school. I, 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 I'm, that's something I'm really proud of. Is that you know the hard work that we've done, we're able to like afford Brighton College because yeah. You know, look at the sticker price. Like Jesus, yeah. God. I, I was know. I was getting up to that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. just something we're actually quite proud of. That yeah. we you know it, it it's a big big not like we really put away and save for that. I mean we're I'm very transparent. I mean we're yeah. I mean you know. We're not billionaires. We're not. I mean, we're working our tail off just to succeed, right? Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. So you know, when we make a decision to put our son in a school like that, it's uh, it's, it's important, and it's it's a financial decision you have to weigh out carefully. But it's a really good school. I, I can't say enough about it. It's cool. Yeah, I yeah. wish I got in school like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, you look at them from the outside; they just look like little worlds of their own. Oh you know? man, it's amazing. Yeah, amazing. but but has that? But did it ever like occur to you that hey, maybe this is not kind of worth it? This like investing in Thai mm. in, in in Thai education, it's not got the best reputation. You know, I've I've come across this discussion with other parents and families where they're like, "Yeah, we're considering moving out now because you know we might not want to pay this much to get something we aren't sure about." How did you come to that? Well, I, I, I play with the cars are Dell, right? So yeah. the, like the our lives are here. Yeah. If you're, I mean, like like many actors, expats, when we first moved here and we worked here and, you know, we were we were always like kind of one foot in Bangkok and one foot kind of planning on how to get out of Bangkok. Yeah. We did that for years. Like, I would, I don't know, I'm certain, I'm sorry, I do know, like a lot of people that I know, we always have this like fantasy land that we go to when everything in Bangkok kind of like just constantly punches you in the face and yeah. everything's annoying and everything doesn't work and you're like, why does everything not better like sometimes yeah, yeah it just gets like that on time and that'll happen anywhere but it happens here often enough um well we used to live like with one foot it, this, this sounds stupid like this like this goat milk farm that i had in my mind okay. just go start a goat <laughs> farm and make goat milk and goat cheese yeah i don't know anything about goats at all but yeah. basically in my mind it's a serene environment that i can control okay. and um it's quiet and it's peaceful and I had that pick that that plan in my mind for years, and I realized that that was a point of stress. Mm. Um, the uh, it sounds weird, but like I kind of I went to this vipassana trip down in southern Thailand where yeah. I just I told my I, I told my wife I said babe I need a break I gotta go I took off went down south ten day meditation retreat yeah absolutely no talking yeah. vegan diet um, meditation from like I don't know way before dawn to way after dinner. Or night, not dinner. We didn't eat at dinner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it kind of like I kind of realized in many ways. But it's like okay, I need. I just need to like be here now, like be here now. Like live. It sounds 
cliche, but live in the moment. Yeah. Um, because I was sort of like half-assed living in the future. Yeah. And that just becomes stress because you're constant. Every little thing that doesn't work out, you're further from the future. Yeah. And yeah. when you're you're like, oh, I need to put a date on it. We're not gonna move. That shit just kills you, man. Yeah. And um, um, I've seen a lot of couples out here bite the dust. Either a break up. Yeah. Foreign couples, foreign women married Thai men, Thai women married foreign men, the whole gamut, whole mess where they're half in and half out. Right. You got to go all in, guys. Go all in. Be here now. And if the cards change or you decide to change the cards and change the cards, but don't half live in it because it will put gray hair on your head. Yeah, which you don't need. <laughs> no. And this is such a great point. Like, I feel like we don't talk about this enough. Uh, we all feel like we're expats, but when does that really stop? Mm. You know? Mm. Like, okay, you're from somewhere else, but you got to make this your home. Otherwise, you're always, like you said, the bag is packed. I'm just going to go to Suvarnabhum, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and you can't make decisions like that. So what, after this uh, trip when you came back and you had this thing in your mind what did you tell Emma that like started the ball rolling on we're here good question um, in fairness we, we, we were I just came back from that trip and I just kind of downloaded on Emma I was like okay here we go I have this is what I learned this is what I felt and um, she was right there on board with the whole with, I wasn't asking her to, to change what she was thinking but she was absolutely thinking the same already she saw the immediately saw the value and okay let's let's kind of let's turn it around and kind of focus on being here for a while yeah. and um, it, it, it we had a real productive conversation and I'll tell you man it was like a million pounds right off my back like right and hers as well like she's like yeah. oh and now we're like, God, like, I, I played in this, this golf tournament on Friday with the American Chamber of Commerce. It's a huge fundraiser. For, yeah, yeah. It's called the Turkey Trot. But um, yeah. um, I was playing golf on Friday at like two in the afternoon. I'm on like whatever hole. And I'm just, I'm, there was a nice breeze. I don't know if you remember. But there's like a nice yeah, yeah. breeze. It wasn't like smoking hot. It was like, yeah. great. I'm thinking, where in the hell else would I be doing this? Like right now, now in fairness, I'm taking a day off on a Friday in the middle of the Christmas season in the jewelry industry. Yeah. Let's be fully transparent. I worked till 1130 the night prior, getting my invoices done, which I usually yeah. do on Friday, getting it done. Not so good for the God there's swing. Nothing, have, like, there's nothing for mind. free yeah. in the entrepreneurial <laughs> world. I didn't, I'm yeah. just on that cop taking the day off. <laughs> there's none of that. But um, we are very much in this community. And once you decide that, like I love all of our friends here and they – these friends are very experienced, they're worldly. A lot of them like do crazy things. Like the friend of the CEO of Ford Thailand, like where else would that ever happen? Nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like so so we just embrace these friends and these people and it's it's something quite positive and we're here, man. We're here. That sounds great. So Greg, why don't you tell us exactly what you want to let the world know about spokes and yeah. all the stuff you're doing here? Right. So where we can find you, uh, what you're about, what people can look forward to when they're uh, when they come to buy jewelry, you know. Great. Great. So to, to reach out and find me. Well, first of all, Spoke. So Spoke's Jewelry Service is a fine we're a fine jewelry manufacturer for our industry. So if you're a brand, if you know a brand, if you happen to know anybody who makes jewelry and they want to expand their capacity, they want to make more than two at a time. Um, and I don't require 100 at a time. We require five at a time. So if you if you know somebody who does that in 14 or 18 gold, gold jewelry or platinum, call me. In the rate of the, my, We have a great little website, SpokesJewelry.com. Very simple. SpokesJewelry.com. Dot com. You find us, email. You'll go right to Emma. Emma will be the one. She, she, she runs the customers, and she'll be the one to talk to you right off the bat. So, SpokesJewelry.com or info at SpokesJewelry.com. I guess that's that's how the, that's what we do and yeah. how to reach me. And uh, for any other American ex expats out there, if they want to get in touch with you through the Chamber of Commerce or any other... Absol uh, if you're an American expat, man, I will absolutely give you some time. I mean, it's all about... I firmly have seen and believe in seeing... If you give, you get. I mean, and I'm, I will give you time that will help you fall. That will help you from falling off a cliff. Okay. I'm a real practical guy. I will not tell you some bullshit about. Everybody seems to find a way to. Oh, if, if you do it this way, you don't have to pay tax. I'm that. Don't talk to me about that yeah. because that shit never works. Yeah. Just do it the right way, and then it works. Just 
all that other stuff is just junk and old. <laughs> maybe Thailand in 1980. I don't know, but definitely not Thailand 2018. So if you want to set up a business and you're open minded and you're not going to tell me how yeah. I'm how I'm how you're going to do it, that's fine. I mean. Yeah. But I have real world practical experience, like tons of it. Um, okay. I would be happy to give you my time. So yeah. hit me up on. Uh, up oh my! There. Yeah, yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah go to okay. LinkedIn. So I'm, what we'll do is we'll put Greg's uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes, and you can uh, send him a message there, asking about business advice or just generally advice about living in Thailand. And uh, if you are interested in the jewelry aspect. You can also look up his website, as he's already mentioned it. And uh, thank you, Greg, for mm. all the wonderful uh, stories you've shared <laughs> and this insight. I, I think a lot it. of us have learned a lot about investing and starting a business in Thailand in a different way and jewelry yeah. as well and how important that is to Thai culture and Thailand as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll catch you uh, sometime soon. Thanks again, Greg. Yeah, I appreciate it. And that's it from Brood in Bangkok for this episode. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and leave it a five-star rating. If you would like to find out more about the show, you can go to broodinbangkok.com and the website will redirect you to more information about the podcast, show notes, and more background information about our guests and anything else you want to know about the show or me. Until next time. Until next time.